the Christian life is absolutely impossible to live. We can't live the Christian life. Some of you might say, well, then what do we do? Just get up and walk home? No. Because Jesus has borne it for us, borne our sins, and lived a life as a man, just like you and I, he has shown us the way to the Father by his death on the cross. And in revealing that to us in his word so plainly, we get the idea that where is the switchover? Where, where do we meet that point where it becomes easy to be a Christian? Have any of you come to that place yet? I feel a lot closer myself, but I've got so much further to go when I really know what it is that my life is in Christ and he is in me. And I'm sure it's going to be another 20 or 30 years, well, maybe not 30 years, another 20 years, perhaps, that I'll struggle to really come to that place of surrender to Jesus Christ and what he has done for me on the cross. Oh, what love he has shown us. What he has given to us. And you who are younger have a lot to look forward to. And I hope that you come faster to that point of realizing who Jesus Christ is in your life than I have come. It is worth it. It is worth pushing through and understanding the cross in your life and what he is doing in your life these days, right now, with the things that you're struggling with. What are those things? What is it that really is keeping you from going wholeheartedly into real joy and peace and strength and encouragement and faith in the one that loved you more than any other person, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. What is it that holds you back? What is it that you struggle with and you think, nobody else struggles with this like I do? Am I speaking to anybody? Is this reality in your life? Are you coming to that place of really coming to the place where you know that there was such a high debt that you owe to Jesus Christ for what he has done for you? And your heart is so grateful that you want to give your life to him. That's the point that I think it's like you're on a journey and you're walking across the land and it's fairly flat and it might be a little dry and it might be at a place where now there's mountains ahead of you and you get up into those mountains and you're sweating and you're tired and you think, I'm never going to get over this hill. It's never going to be different. 
And then you come down on the other side and you find out, oh, man, it so, feels so good to go downhill. But just like you would climb up Mount Fuji, you know what? It is not so hard climbing up Mount Fuji. It's the coming down that's hard. Man, my legs, I could hardly walk when I got down to the parking lot. It was harder going down than it was going up. And that's something like what happens in us on a daily basis in our Christian lives. And we need to know the ups and downs. That's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's Christ in me that lives. His life that is in me as a Christian. And we need to get our hearts, our minds, our souls around that concept. Does that mean that once we get it, we're perfect? No, not until you stand before the throne. None of us will become perfect until we're there on the other side. But that shouldn't discourage us from really digging in and becoming what Christ Jesus has modeled for us in giving his life for us. That was just my introduction. Wait till I really get going. <laughs> Romans 13, 8-10, titled it, The Debt. Let's read that. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Father, we are into the deep forest of the Christian life, really trying to understand what our brother Paul is talking about. Give us, Holy Spirit, anointing with our minds, our hearts, our wills, so that we would be able to understand these truths and apply them to our everyday lives right now. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And for the Word of God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, Paul was talking about government, that how it relates to our Christian life in walking in a government that is not godly. What do we do about our submission to the government that is over us? And if you, I was going to say, if you're a news buff like I am, I'm not really a news buff, but I am 
interested in what is happening in the world today. Because, you know, we are living, I think, in a very, very significant time in the world. I'm not a eschatology expert. I can't take apart Daniel and Revelation and try to fit it into where are we in the dateline of humanity. But there is enough scripture in the Word of God. You don't have to dive into all the intricacies of what does this mean when I saw these wheels turning, when Ezekiel's talking about the wheels turning in the heavens, or Daniel is seeing a large image, or in John, in Revelation, there's all these pictures of out of the temple coming this river. All those implications, most of us aren't gifted or equipped to really understand what they mean. But there's a lot of other things that are telling us time is getting short. Something is about to happen in this world. And I think it's time for us as believers to prick up our ears. Oh, there's something happening. I need to make myself ready. I need to prepare myself. The bridegroom is coming. I think we are closer, as Paul says, we're closer than when we were when we were first saved. We are closer to the reality of Jesus Christ coming and reigning over the nations and taking the church to himself for eternity. So Paul says something very significant in just this first verse. Verse 8. Oh, no one anything. Some people have pulled that phrase out and said, well, you know, you shouldn't really take out a loan on, on a home or a car or on a education. Christians should not be in debt at all because Paul said, oh, no man, anything. I think that's a mistake. That's not the context. Even though he was talking about paying taxes to whom taxes belong. So Paul kind of borrows that concept of we owe something to the government in taxes, but we owe a greater debt or to acknowledge a greater debt that has been incurred for us. So he uses that. Owe no one anything except to love each other. That example is we need to learn how to lay down our lives for one another. And to what extent do we have to lay down our lives for each other? Does it mean literally? It could. But that's probably easier than what we have to bear with with one another. It's interesting that the Bible does say, bear with one another's burdens. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. And we in the church, more than Anyone, I think, struggle with this. Why are there so many churches? Why are there so many denominations? 
because we couldn't bear with one another. And some people have even looked at it and said, well, you know, that, that's the way church growth is. Well, it's not because we can't stand being with each other and we're going to start our own church. And that's church growth. I think that's uh, negative church growth. We need to learn how to love one another so much that we say, okay, go out and share with your neighbors. And if that neighborhood just embraces the word of God, embraces Jesus Christ, and something happens in your home, go for it. Don't come to MCC on Sunday morning. Be with those believers and see them grow a church in your neighborhood. See God do something in the area where you live or work. It's hard for us to live together as Christians. And sometimes he keeps us together as Christians just for the sake of us understanding that it's our flesh that keeps getting in the way. It's not them, it's us. It's not the one that you're trying to bear with. It's about my own heart condition. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. My outline is in debt, Romans 13, 8 to 10. First point, we're obliged or we ought to love. Verse 8. Verse 9, our debt is never paid in full. And I'll explain what I mean later. And then the law is fulfilled by love. Verse 10, obliged to love, or we ought to love one another. Jesus said just before he was crucified, John 13, 34, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Think about that. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Have you come to that place? Has anybody come to that place? This isn't meant to be a downer message this morning. This is to be an encouragement to you. So let's not get real yucky about ourselves. But it's good for us to grapple with this in our own hearts, in our relationships, in our, in our homes, in our Christian life and walk. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What does it mean that just as I have loved you? Well, here's a good sign for us. When you feel like you're being crucified, when you feel like someone is coming at you, it's time to say, Lord, thank you for this person. I remember a wise pastor many years ago when I was just a young man. That was many years ago. <laughs> he said, and I was, both Katie and I were going through a very hard time where we were being 
accused of something that we had nothing to do with in terms of being against the church. But this pastor and his board basically accused us of turning some people against the church. And this pastor, not that pastor, but our other pastor friend, knew what we were going through and came to us. And he said, Ron, everyone needs a Roman soldier in his life. Everyone needs a Roman soldier in his life. What does that mean? Have I shared this here before? I've shared it in many congregations. So, you know, the, the cross is really, really a unique execution instrument, device, if you will, for killing someone. Think about it. There is no one that can hang themselves on a cross. First of all, they lay you on the cross and they nail a nail through your, your wrist. And then you, they, they or you nail it through your feet. Who is going to nail the other nail? You cannot execute yourself on the cross. It's impossible. You need a Roman soldier. And Jesus Christ needed Roman soldiers to execute him. You can hang yourself, you can gas yourself, you can stab yourself, you can shoot yourself, you can starve yourself. You cannot execute yourself on the cross. You need a Roman soldier. And this pastor was so wise in saying that to me. And he says, thank God for the Roman soldiers in your life. And Katie and I said, well, wait a minute, that, that pastor had no right to do that to us. And it was, Ron, you needed a Roman soldier. You needed someone to crucify you, to put you in a place where, Lord, I am yours. Do with me what you will. I am your servant. And you know, when we came to that point, we'd been waiting to go to the mission field for 10 years. I was in my mid-30s. We had three kids. We had a house and a car and a good job. And right after that incident that happened, the door opened for us to come to Japan. And we've had ministry here in Japan. But it came at a price of recognizing a Roman soldier in our lives. And you know what? I told you about this just a few weeks ago, I think, with a, a missionary colleague that right away came to us and he said, I'm praying every day that you leave Japan. Well, ah! A Roman soldier. Put your hand out there willingly. Particularly when God had just said to me, when I said, what about this guy? What do you think of him? You remember what the Lord put in my head? I think of him, I see him the same way I see you. Through the blood of my son, 
Jesus. That's what the Christian life is about. That is what love is about. And I was able to say when he left language school, off to his first church, or church planting, thank you. The Lord bless you. You know, the Lord is so good and so gracious. We don't know to what extent he will take us. But it will always, I can guarantee you, if you really are following the Lord, it will take you to the cross. Don't shirk it. Don't run away from it. That is what the body of Christ is all about. There are things that may come to you as criticism from another member. Think of them as someone that's doing you a favor and putting that last nail in. Is that too hard to say? Is that too hard to imagine? That that is what this scripture is talking about. Owe no man anything but love. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. And Jesus hung on the cross on behalf of every one of us and millions and billions more. The whole world, in fact, he bore. The debt is never paid in full. It's interesting that uh, in verse uh, 9, Paul lists off some commandments here. Verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just looking at this list, Paul is actually quoting some of the Ten Commandments that were taken from the second tablet. Remember, it was two tablets that Moses had carried down from Mount Sinai that contained the Ten Commandments. One tablet had four commandments on it. The other had six. The first tablet had to do with our relationship with God. The second tablet had to do with our relationship with one another, which had six commandments to it. Paul lists off these particular four commandments and leaves out two. But you're not going to be able to say to Paul, Paul, don't you know the Ten Commandments? You're a Pharisee. You should know those Ten Commandments just like that and popping them off. Why did you pick these ones? Well, I think that Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I haven't really delved into it why he picked these particular four. But these four really speak to the inner being of who we are. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, whoever looks on a woman has already committed adultery. You shall not murder. If you hate, Jesus said, 
you've already committed murder. You shall not steal. At the heart of every one of us, man, woman, and child, is that fallen nature. And basically, in our hearts, it's that of coveting. And that's what Paul is pointing to. At the very core of who we are. And he's wanting to sum it all up. And he said, as in Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love as I have loved you. And then it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about your relationship with those that are just, yeah, they're your friends. They're your associates, but they just kind of rub you the wrong way. I have friends like that. Do you? I don't see any hands up. You're not honest. None of you are. We all have friends that we, in fact, they might not be friends. They might even be family. And you can't just leave them. We're nailed, aren't we? And that's where we need to have them become our Roman soldiers for us. To help us on the way to living, I am crucified with Christ. And these days that we're living in are, uh, are going to prove to be some of the most difficult days. We'll never stop needing to love one another. We'll never say, well, okay, I completely love that person and I love them forever. No, we have to get up and do it again. Now, the law fulfilled. Since we're talking about the cross this morning, you remember the uh, two criminals that were crucified with Jesus? How many remember that story? There was three crosses, really. And there was one on the right and one on the left. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Luke 24, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus, saying, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you the one that came to be a savior? We have been looking for you for centuries. Are you that one? Jesus was in the middle of these two. And he railed at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Well, I can imagine, man, if you were hanging there in the midday on a cross in utter agony and pain, and this guy next to you is saying that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one come to save and redeem Israel, wouldn't you be just so angry? I think we would. Have you ever been so angry? I think I have when there has been unfairness or there's been something that we just had no control of in our own lives. Save yourself and us. 
But the other man, who was in just as much agony, just as much trouble, rebuked him. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing. Wow. Wow. What a revelation. I don't know how he knew that Jesus had done nothing. We don't know anything about this man. There's nothing recorded about him. But he said the truth. He spoke the truth. I wonder if there was an encounter at one point in Jesus' wandering where this criminal had seen a miracle of Jesus or had heard him preach or teach about forgiveness. And so he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, the grace of God in our lives. I don't know how long it took this man to die. Some surmise that Jesus died very quickly on the cross. This man may have hung there for another day, not really having experienced yet being in paradise, but still in his agony. But the promise of God was to him, you will be with me in paradise. What a mercy, what a grace. We don't know that this man ever came down and said, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. We don't know that. But right at the last of this man's life, he comes to full salvation. And the promise from the Redeemer, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, he entered in to a promise that was as good as gold. Wow. That is amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's amazing grace that any of us are regarded by the Savior as worthy. And he paid the debt. He fulfilled the law so that we might be with him in paradise. That is what the gospel is about. Owe no one anything but to love. And if you think that love is some kind of a gushy, mushy, ooh, I'll squeeze you kind of thing, you've got a wrong interpretation of love. But when you're willing to lay down your life for somebody that just irks you and causes you to, oh, do I have to do this? Yes, you do, because Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. That's what it means to be a loving group of cantankerous Christians. 
because we're all cantankerous. Oh, maybe you don't know what that word means. I don't either. But it just means uh, stubborn, ordinary, grumpy when you get up in the, in the morning, uh, grumpy when you go to bed at night. We're all human. We all understand that we're weak, that we're sinful, that we need a Savior. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It's not, oh, we just want to love each other. We don't want to correct each other. We don't want to say something that would hurt another person. And you know what? I think that's the problem with the church. We should be speaking up sometimes or many times when someone says something is just not right or doesn't want to really stand up for the truth. Well, let's just cover that up. Let's just not talk about it. There are some things we shouldn't talk about, but there are some things we should be talking about in the church. Things that don't match up with the word of God, we need to speak up. Jesus spoke the truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So there needs to be grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. It's like walking on your two feet. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. So that we can walk together and not split up and not cause a church split. We're not just never greet each other because of something that was said. We need to come and know that we're forgiven in Jesus Christ and we can forgive because of the debt he paid. We owe him our lives. He paid our debt. Thank you, Father, for your grace to us. Thank you that you have completely forgiven us already. And we have yet more sins to commit. And yet it is enough. Lord, we don't want to add to that anymore. Because we understand that we are forgiven. But we want to walk as you walked. We want to know your life in us so that we can continue to love one another and really understand what love means. Allow us to be Christian, followers of Christ, by your grace, your strength, your forgiveness, your power, the Holy Spirit within us, the word of God in our minds and our hearts, that we know that we are redeemed, and that we are yours. And for anyone here this morning who you've been struggling with some issues, some relationships, things that you need to correct, and the Lord has perhaps been speaking to you for a long time, and you just need to lay it down. Allow a Roman soldier to nail that last struggling part of you against that brother or sister. Pour out your grace upon us, Lord Jesus. Allow us to be a church that are so in love with you 
that the world will see it as your love, a superhuman love. We also thank you for our brothers and sisters in the Japanese services. Lord, that you would pour out your spirit of love upon them as well. And may they know joy and freedom. We all together at MCC would walk in your ways and so fulfill the law of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.